Hello and welcome to episode 350 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carzino. And we are coming to you once again from Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion Seattle Seahawks. Fittingly, it's the KJ Wright edition. There you go. Of the Pelton Cast. The Jamie Moyer edition? No. Just the KJ Wright edition, oh, wow. sorry. We're in Renton, Washington. No, 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 I'm, 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 I'm down with Jamie Moyer. Tough beat for Jamie Moyer. The, no, no. the, the other Urban Johnson? <laughs> He was number fifty, Irvin. Yeah. Irv. Uh, should we get into it? Wow, we're getting right into it. I don't know that we need to talk about anything off the top. Uh, so this week's beer, we're going back to our friends at Old School House Brewing. Hello, in Winthrop, Washington. Although Randy is not playing any hockey tournaments this weekend, so that far you know as we of. know. Uh, this is the Old Schoolhouse Epiphany Pale, a medium-bodied pale with moderate bitterness, slight caramel malt flavor, and citrusy hop aroma. This is. I thought this was a strange decision description from them. This is a good beer to start with when building up the courage for the stronger beers. So, old school has really like subtweeting people who are into drinking lighter beers. Building. I I do not agree with that. Old school house brewery. <laughs> I I also don't know that. I, agree I don't think there's like a building up the courage. It's almost like it'll be similar to our donut conversation that we have today. There's two different trajectories of beers that you drink. And donuts that you eat, right? I don't know if there's two different... I think there's a lot of different beer trajectories. But you understand what I'm saying. It's not But there's like, also beers for different scenarios. And Rainier happens to be that beer for every scenario. <laughs> well, maybe maybe it's not always Rainier. Maybe sometimes it's Rainiers of other cities. But stay tuned on that one. That's true. Maybe it's Heidelberg beer. Which brings us to... A reminder about Peltoncast Live Spring 2023. Coming April 21st. April 21st at Belltown Yacht I'm Club. Waiting for you to do the spiel. <laughs> April 21st at Belltown Yacht Club. Pelton Cast Live. You know what to expect from Pelton Cast Live. This year, we are going to have more fun than ever. We've learned from all of our mistakes of the past. Everything wrong that we ever once did before, <laughs> we will now undo now. We promise the perfect time. We're going to make new mistakes instead. <laughs> uh, this year... The Seahawks have, have you heard this? Two first-round draft picks, including the number five pick in the draft, which hopefully they will still have then. Maybe. We'll see. Uh, and we're going to have on to talk about that. Wait, wait, what are you saying that? Well, just it'll be more fun to talk about it. Pelton Cast Live. They could trade it after. NFL draft guru from the ringer, Danny Kelly, making his triumphant return to Pelton Cast Live. He saw the mistakes of the first one. <laughs> he will be shocked and excited about how polished Pelton Cast Live is now. And that we're selling tickets. <laughs> yeah. And there's an audience now. No, there was an audience then. There was an audience then. They just didn't pay to get in. Uh, but as always, you know what to expect from Pelton Cast Live. Come hungry. Be ready for bingo, surprises, a full cast talking taco time, probably for the first time ever. I keep saying this, and you always get mad you can't every time. This. Randy you has know. to come through. Come on, Randy. Be there for Pelton Cast Live. Uh, this is going to be, we, we were at, Although I was going to say, by the way, Randy, like the reason he'd be missing it is his annual trip. I think Randy, you got to consider moving the annual trip now that the Kraken exists. Like this, there could be Kraken playoff hockey that weekend. Yeah. But don't go to that. <laughs> <laughs> don't go to that. 
Don't go to the Mariners versus the Cardinals. I assure you, assure you, you do not want to be around Cardinals fans. You want to be at Peltoncast Live, Belltown Yacht Club in Belltown. Confidently. Confidently geography. Michael Sawyer, was it Michael Sawyer who said that he wanted a Pelton Cast Geography segment, segment at the live show? Do you I know what's funny? We went back and listened to the Baby Fantasy Genius segment from like five years ago where he was talking about college sport, college nicknames. It was very embarrassing for him. And it was really fun to listen to. But the thing, his new passion is now geography. Isn't that wild? That my child is really excited. He'll, literally, the, the what was the game where it just had a picture of a country? Game and you had to what game where it had a picture of a country? Are yeah, and you had of... to try to guess like the closest to it, and it said how far away you were. It was like Wordle. Oh, right? Worldle. Worldle. I, w- he, I was going back further. It, I thought you were talking about takeoff. He would get play it that like first try every oh, yeah. single it time. Was, no, he it was crushes so you annoying. at Wordle. Oh, I'm not that and, good at Wordle. And, and he'd be like, "That's Papua New Guinea or whatever," and you're just like, "It's what?" <laughs> <laughs> no, he he knows the size and shape and flag of every single country in the entire world. So maybe we, well, he's not going to be there. No, no. It's 21 20, plus. It is a 21 but, plus. Uh, uh, but we're going to have an awesome time at Peltoncast Live. Get your tickets now. They're going, I would say, fast. And can I share with the listener some wow. new information? It's not new to you. I've already told you. Wow. Alicia Vermillion, who wrote about Taco Time Northwest in Talking Taco Time for Seattle Met Magazine, was on Talking Taco Time last week, our special episode on the Taco Time Divide, is going to be joining us on the voting panel for our search for Seattle's best donut, the cake donut lobby will be represented. Wow. There's not going to be a cake donut in the finals, though, probably. We'll I, we might this week have a cake donut lobby. You people are getting out of hand with this. Anyway, we'll get to donuts <laughs> in a second. What do you mean, you people? <laughs> okay. All right. Well, don't, don't miss it. It honestly will be, I promise, it will be one of the best times that you've ever had in your entire life. And we're getting more making promises. <laughs> we confidently. We cannot keep. <laughs> Uh, we only have one real toast this week, and that's a congrats to UW's L. Ladine, who was named Pac-12 Freshman of the Week for her role in the Huskies' win Sunday over number two Stanford. Ladine matched her career high with 10 points on Friday against Cal, then more than doubled it by scoring 21 against the Cardinal. She's the first UW women's basketball player to win the award since Tamia Sadler in November 2020, so it's it's been a minute. There we go. It's not like the year where different UW freshmen were winning it every week in football. We also, this week, want to wish a get well soon to Lauren Jackson, who suffered a partial Achilles tear, playing in the WNBL for the Southside Flyers during a tribute game for her, (laughs) featuring the largest attendance in WNBL history. Oh, no. And sadly, it's out for the season. It happened in the second minute of the game, a minute in. So I I had drawn up this long sheet that you see me pull out in front of you for uh, storm plans for the rest of the offseason. And I had to cross Lauren Jackson oh, off the list. Wow. Yeah. Uh, every, your entire offseason plan for the storm. That was it. In, in that was it. I have this giant sheet, which you can see right here. And literally all it says on it is Lauren Jackson. <laughs> and and the, below it, it says time machine question mark. <laughs> Change rules. <laughs> <laughs> If you had been the Her Hoop Stats mock offseason, it would have been just not saying anything on Brianna Stewart, not saying anything on Courtney Vandersloot, and then you just chime in, when are we talking about Laura Jackson? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, we'll have more of that have storm names to throw out, like fantasy football? <laughs> you, just a throw, little bit. you just throw out a name and we're like, all right, uh, we're on to Lauren Jackson now. <laughs> <laughs> 
Lord was still not playing in the WNBA. Healthy Achilles or not. But uh, since we have a light sleet of toast this week, I think that takes us directly into our search for Seattle's best donuts. And we start again for a, with a listener email. <laughs> Every week we're going to start with a listener Although email. Although this one is not an angry listener email. Although... Ooh. Although we may disagree a little bit on, on some of the text. This one is not an angry listener. I like you have to, to specify that. Have to I clarify. don't feel like Zax was that angry. I don't know if I... I mean, Chris Wheeler did say, the listener Chris Wheeler did say he was kind of hate listening to the donut segment. Hate listening to the donut yeah. segment? Because he's, a, he's a, a cake stand. Yes. Okay. He and Zach have been the primary cake lobby thus far. Uh, the, this is from friend of the pod, the listener... The UK listener, oh, hello. Glenn Christie, who finally sends us a recap of his visit to Seattle ah. last summer. There we go. Uh, hi, I, boys. In, in England, they, they're called crisps. <laughs> no, no. Uh, chips. Sorry, chips. <laughs> Donuts are called chips in England. I realized today that on our one day in Seattle back in October, we hit both Top Pot and General Porpoise. Wow. Some photo evidence attached. Now you're competing. The Top Pot Maple Bar gets extra hospitality points this visit. In general purpose, we had the chocolate marshmallow, was exceptional, though maybe helped by the sun shining on the first morning of our trip. I can confirm it's a faithful and delicious take on the St. John Bakery Donut, which is comfortably London's best. Wow, okay. In the spirit of my last <clears throat> Seattle's Best Tour recap, here's a shortened version of what we achieved on our one Monday. God, I'm so ready for this. That's office. such a long list. It's, it's incredible. It's way longer than my storm off season. Okay. Jet lag so out of the apartment, that ugly glass-fronted building right behind Lumenfield at uh, 0530. Uh, I like the, the 24-hour time for a sunrise 13-mile run <laughs> up the waterfront <laughs> to Centennial Park through Seattle Center. And around Lake Union, which the 13-mile run may help explain how Glenn Christie was able to eat as much as he did later God. in the day. Stopped mid-run for that maple bar in South Lake Union. Showered up and changed before hitting General Porpoise on first for coffee and the chocolate marshmallow. Got to Tats about midday for a Tatsdrami. Oh, yes. God, I haven't had a Tatsdrami in so long. Oh, I gotta go. First beer of the day at Optimism. All right. Dicks on Broadway for a deluxe <laughs> and fries. Quick top of it, Tacos Chukis. <laughs> Walked about some more at Volunteer Park and then made our way to Rubens and Stoop for fresh hop flights. Walked into Fremont via some incredible dive bar that was playing Braid for Rainier Tallboy. And then dinner at Jewel. I, I'm not familiar with Jewel, which was really great. It's right around there. We were out at 7 a.m. on a flight to Sacramento to go hiking in Yosemite before cutting back across to go down the coast. We watched the end of that insane wildcard game, too, in a bar in Morro Bay where the only other people were an older couple from Seattle who were so bemused by an anxiety-riddled honeymoon in Scottish Mariners fan that they covered our bar tab. Thank you, whoever you are. Probably wow. Some time in Pulp Springs and Joshua Tree was where I caught up on In-N-Out and Chick-fil-A. No notes, as always. We caught the first game of the Kraken regular season in Anaheim, where $19 for a beer. And Holy ended, shit, what? Yeah, apparently more expensive than even Climate Pledge Arena. Oh my God. In, you have to be in Anaheim <laughs> and pay $19 for I, a beer? I know. Wow. Does I it know. include a ticket to Disneyland? <laughs> no, it's a little more expensive than that. And ended in LA, Home Street Breakfast Tacos, Major Domo, Sonora Town, and a real diabetes kick in Grand Central Market for pie and cookies from Fat and Flour and the Donut Man. That's Home State Tacos. 
What did I say? Home Street. Oh yes, not the not the bank that sponsors Hydroplane. Yes. yes, I know you have Hydroplanes on the mind. I, I, get I it. always do. Talk about full circle. Donut Man was elite. Thanks for all the tips over the years. Clearly making a difference. Wow, I, that's what an like, incredible email again from Glenn Christie. And the Donut Man too. On top of that, I, which I have not been to. Oh, it's phenomenal. That's the, the only donuts that's... I usually have in LA are from Birdie's DTLA. I've been to both. Yeah, they're both very good. Donut Man, I went there last time I was there. Uh, to I mean, the whatever they, they call the compound, the compound in Grand Central Market. Okay, that's just, what you, that's you what you said. said it. Grand Central Market. Uh, so I was I watched the movie Heat last night. Okay, which I had never watched before, and I got to tell you, the shots of downtown LA were really making me miss being in downtown LA. <laughs> it's a little different there. than the '90s. It's, was it your first ever time watching Heat? It was my first Damn. time watching Heat, and now I have three rewatchables to go through. <laughs> so many hours of rewatchables. I did the exact same thing as you, where I listened to all three of the rewatchables. I mean, I'm, I don't know when I'm actually going to get to them because there's a lot of NBA podcasts I need to listen to right now too. But uh, yes, I mean it's different, but there's definitely stuff I recognized in the movie from. I mean, also like the LA Convention Center is right around there, which is where they filmed all the hotel scenes. I just want to say, Glenn Christie, you are living life. Oh, for sure. I, I think I'm going to this is this is just a note for Glenn Christie. I think I'm skipping England in, in the spring around the Great Escape, and I'm going for Reading and Leeds. Wait, really? Yeah. So wow. I think I, I think I'm going in August for Reading and Leeds. Hot. Nice. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And I assume there's going to be a London play around that. Also, it's going to be Reading and Leeds, and then some sort of London play around there. TBD. All right. Well, should we talk about donuts? <sighs> this week, our search for Seattle's best donuts took us to Ninth and Hennepin and Legendary Donuts. Let's start with Ninth and Hennepin. Did you want to get into the bigger donut discussion now? Because I feel like we should wait until. Okay, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about both these locations and then let's have the bigger discussion. Correct. Uh, that's a re- Ninth and Hennepin is a reference to a Tom Waits spoken word song, itself referencing the location of an all night donut shop in Minneapolis where Tom Waits said he was shot at. I guarantee you it's a very different style of donuts than oh, well, the ninth and head of been donuts. Many, 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 I, many There's like a long years. history of very, very bougie things. No offense to ninth and Penniman, which are phenomenal donuts. Very, very bougie things naming themselves after working class things. Oh, Tom Waits also said when he went back to the Minneapolis neighborhood now, I, who knows what now it's was. It's gentrified. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, of yeah that makes sense. Like ninth and Hennepin is definitely contributing to that. <laughs> They're like, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Any, anyway, but it, I do feel like that's like part of canon is taking taking something that is how much are their donuts? Their donuts aren't that expensive. They're only like three dollars or okay. two fifty each. So it's not general purpose like five fifty. It is not okay. So, but I, I do I would probably guess that that donut shop that Tom Waits was uh, it was an all night donut shop. Speaking about in Minneapolis in the nineteen eighties, it was pre donut, presumably the eighties. I don't know. It could have been. Or maybe the seventies. I who knows? A decade long before the donut revolution. I'm just, just going to say that those donuts were drastically different than the ninth and head of the donuts that we were eating. I today, agree, which is part of the conversation regard. that we need to have. Of course. So this was opened in 2018 by longtime Seattle chef Justin Newstrom, who was inspired by the beignets from Cafe Du Monde in New Orleans and wanted to serve donuts hot. First doing so at farmers markets, and then since the start of the pandemic, from a commissary kitchen in West Seattle primarily doing online pre-orders. There are a few walk-up donuts available. And the menu rotates weekly. There's four donut options each week. 
using seasonal local ingredients, typically, you know, some similar styles. There's basically always a cake option, a fritter, and a filled brioche. And you can tell which of those I usually go for. Uh huh. So this past weekend, let me go pull up the menu that they had uh, from this past weekend. Uh, but we got, you got all four of them to split with you and Mrs. Fantasy Genius. And I got the three non-cake donut options they had. So they had, uh, uh, let's see. The menus are really hard to read. The cursive. <laughs> well, th- th- fortunately, there's a, there's the uh, yeah. Instagram post has the non-cursive. Uh, buckwheat yogurt cake donut with fresh cranberries and all-spice glaze. A French cruller with, or cruller? Cruller. With chai tea sugar. A filled brioche thim- thumbprint with brandied French plum jam and demerara sugar. And then a Turkish apricot apple fritter with honey ginger oh, glaze. Oh, my God. And I got to say, like, I usually go for the brio- filled brioche thumbprint mm-hmm. or the filled brioche. But the fritters are kind of like low-key my favorite from Ninth and Hennepin. Oh, my God. I mean, you hear that description? Okay, are we getting into it on Ninth and Hennepin or are we waiting? I mean, right, let's, I think, let's have the full discussion about about each and then the overall discussion. Right. These are fucking incredible donuts. <laughs> like, I don't I don't know what to say. Like, there's not that much more to it. Is they almost beg you to eat them fresh. In this a way. is the first time you've had them hot like this, right? Because yes. any other time I've been bringing them to you. And but it wasn't it wasn't like they were. I got them at the location in West Seattle and then drove home to Renton, Washington, and then ate them, and they were still warm. So it wasn't like they were super fresh, like right when they handed them to us, but they were still warm. And I will tell you right now, you're a fucking idiot for not eating the cake donut. Like, I have a bone to pick with you about if you can't enjoy a... Do you hear that description? Again, the yogurt, I say, it makes it moist. I'm sorry, but like, you can appreciate a well-done cake donut. You're the one who didn't eat the cake donut when I brought them to my house for talking taco time. That's all I'm saying. Is it wasn't me. I ended up eating one of the cake donuts. It, I don't. I don't know. Just because I I didn't eat it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a judgment about the cake donut. Like I I wasn't there. I didn't have it fresh. I didn't have it warm. It was a. It was it was at the exact same level as all of the rest of these donuts, and maybe even better. I bit into it, and I was just like, "Are you kidding me, dog? Like this is what we're eating right now." The donuts are, they're very warm. They're, and honestly, like both the donuts place, places we went to this week are rich, but in drastically different ways. Correct. Right? They're extraordinarily rich, but they're rich in the buttery French sort of way. Right? Yes. And having these like very, very nice ingredients. And, and the opposite, and they're not like a frosting type of donut. Right? Not at all. That's not really what they do. They're on the like pastry end of donuts, but every single even, one. Even Jimmer <clears throat> might like these. Every single one that I've been into, I was just like, that's the best donut I've ever had. That's the best donut I've ever had. That's the, like, one, two, three, four. It was in... You were the opposite of office space. Every donut you ate was the best donut you've ever had. They were perfect. Every single one was perfect. No notes on any of them. I mean, I would say that Ninth and Hennepin at this point is basically my local donut shop. They're open, by the way. We should have mentioned. Uh, I believe it's gentrification. No, you're not gentrified. West Seattle. It's always been white. Yes, <laughs> I believe they're open th- Friday through Sunday. They've also maybe got a, a Thursday, an alternate location. Uh, but I, I looked this up. So we, I first went there in October 2021, and have been there 11 times in the past 16 months. So I mean, I would go there if I lived where frequent. you lived. I would be there every single weekend. Do you know how many weekends since Dojoy opened in West Seattle I've been there? Because uh, it's been like all of them. 
Well, not, it, it, when did it open? It had been open before you went, right? I think the West Seattle location opened like early 2023, late 2022. Okay. Well, a lot. All right. <clears throat> Legendary Donuts. First opened in 2010 in Auburn. You don't have any thoughts on 9th and 10th Pin? Like, there's, that's just it? I, I thought I agreed with you and okay. we can save just, the rest of it for they're the They're great. Okay. Yeah. Again, I said it's my the donuts I go eat the most often. But you also said it was your local donut place, which is But there are other donut places that are near me <clears throat> and I don't go to them nearly as frequently as I go to Ninth and Hennepin. The fact that it's like a different variety each weekend is probably a bit of the draw to me. It's like why oh, yeah. I always eat the special at Little Woody's. I go for the special as opposed to even though the regular menu is good, it's just always gonna be there, you know? <laughs> You'll never have it, but it'll always be there. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk more about Little Woody's in a little bit here. Uh, Legendary Donuts first opened in 2010 in Auburn by husband and wife Ken and Shannon Patton. Now has grown to seven locations, all either south or east of Seattle, uh, really primarily centered on the south. <clears throat> this is a very different situation in terms of this is probably the most creative donut factory could be in this conversation. Maybe there's some others we haven't tried, but the most creative in terms of options of the Seattle area bakeries, the voodoo donut places, the voodoo donuts comparison comes up a lot. They're slightly different, but they have, I counted 82 different varieties of donuts listed on their website. It's so interesting to me because I feel like it's actually quite different than voodoo in a lot of ways. It's definitely a different vibe than voodoo. And it's just so frosting forward that that's what it is right yes like i the, I, I guess there are a lot of different like you look around and you're like i mostly hone in certain things they do, they do have a bacon maple which voodoo like popularized yes so they do have a bacon bacon maple donut which they call the oprah and i'm not sure i feel about that <clears throat> but the there are a lot of, I suppose, different types of donuts. I mostly kind of having the names like, you know, cute, cutesy names. Yes, yeah, that's. There, there's a lot of different stuff, but ultimately, what it comes down to is, everything is very, very, in the way that I would describe, Ninth and Hennepin is rich, sugary, is how I describe legendary donuts. Right, it is a frosting forward donut place there are some things that don't obviously but the central theme when you're looking at legendary donuts and this is not necessarily a bad thing i like a lot it's of their donuts, a bad thing. but they they are very very sh they're decadent right and they're very very sugary everything they do i guess there are it, it just feels different than voodoo donuts feels intentionally like rebellious yeah right and that's not exactly what legendary donuts is not at all there's, there's not like the skulls and crossbones on stuff yeah um, and, and the branding isn't quite the same. Obviously, it's very different than Voodoo Donuts. Like, the good things come in pink, pack, pink boxes or whatever. You're just like, oh, okay. Like, Legendary Donuts would not be comfortable saying that on the box. <laughs> but, like, <clears throat> uh, Mrs. Fantasy Genius had a dosant. I thought there, I thought there was a reference to jewelry. <laughs> yeah. Which is, uh, which is a, like, croissant-style donut. Like, a flaky croissant-style donut. And then just, like, frosted on top. Sea salt croissant. I can see one right there on the website. But it's just like every single linger, everything has frosting and sugar, more or less. And and it's like the, their frosting is, it's like a a, a frothy, uh, like cream cheese style frosting, which to me, I'm it's all like about. It's like cake frosting. Don't you think? Sometimes. But I do like that it's cream cheese forward. Yeah. 
Is that all you had here? I mean, what, what do you think about them? Because you have you've had it a lot less. Than, I've had legendary donuts. I've had it plenty. I used to pretty regularly when I was driving down to Portland and like getting lunch there. I would stop at the Federal Way location and get donuts as my breakfast. I did that. Oh as, yeah, because it's only a breakfast food to you. Exactly. But that was like the most convenient one to me. Just like not that far off of I five in Federal Way. So I, I mean, I and in our mom. Legendary Donuts, I would say, is possibly her favorite donut. She's much more interested in frosting than we are. I would agree <clears> with that <throat> assessment. But like, she often would bring them and, and bring me one. So I've had it plenty of times over the years. I I mean, maybe not as often as you, but plenty of times. I mean, I, I think that this is where we need to kind of get into the conversation about the creativity <clears throat> element versus the craft element. I think that's what you wanted to... I, I don't know if that's exactly what I would say is... What what th- there's a divide about what a not what a donut is. There's a divide about two different types of donuts, right? I guess you're saying creativity versus craft. I think it's more about like in traditional versus craft, not creativity, because these still legendary donuts are. There's all sorts of different things, but it still feels very traditional to me, right? I would, yes, I would agree with that, and I think it's in a certain tradition of donuts handed down, right? It's like part of, honestly, like the donut revolution that you're talking about, this is still that type of donut, right? This is doing the classic American donut in a like a slightly different way, probably better, a better way than your sort of like like run-of-the-mill donut shop from the 80s or whatever. But Ninth and Hennepin is a radically different donut. Ninth and Hennepin is not, you don't like show up to your office with a box of Ninth and Hennepin donuts. Literally, it might not even be open when you're working. These are artisanal donuts in such a totally different way. They're a small batch. And you're probably, like, you might get more than four, but it's like they're made to order. You pre-order them. You show up to this commissary kitchen, and you grab your donuts from a little box. It's like you're ordering, like, tacos or something like that, a burrito, right? Like, that's what it most resembles, more than it resembles donuts. So it's also what they serve out of that commissary kitchen at different times. It's very difficult to even compare these donuts, which are like, I popped in at like three o'clock. And you like check out the selection. I look at what's there and I make a decision based upon what's there. So it's it's just really tough to look at these two different donuts. And I think that's true of Top Pot, even Dojoy to a certain extent. And your ninth and hennepins and kind of general porpoise and a few others that we'll be looking at. But I think there's a variety of different dimensions here because one of the things we're going to come come across in this search is, again, the more artisanal where there's like a limited selection. Like they do one thing in in ninth and hennepin isn't quite that extreme, but they do one thing and they do it in limited quantities and you generally got to pre-order it. We're going to have one of those this week in in Sonrisa Donuts. What what do they do? Are they Malasada styles as well? Yes. Okay. <clears throat> and like they they do take orders day of, but usually it's a very long line, so it's definitely better to order pre order as we did. So, but I'm I'm like super excited. But that's kind of different than again going into a store and choosing between a variety of different options. Exactly, you're not gonna go in there and be like, oh, I'll get the twenty pound donut today. But I think there's like a or lot. Of, I think there's there's multiple different dimensions as we're doing our our donut taxonomy. If it's we're, different than almost any like. <laughs> I mean, you have your cloth napkin versus paper napkin. It's kind of different than almost anything we've done, though. Because, as as... because, again, I think there's multiple dimensions. Like, 
you can have fancier donuts. I think do, I think of Dojo as a somewhat fancier donut, but it's still Expensive. like we're trying to do all the different kinds of donuts, basically. Dojo does is, not compete with Ninth and Hennepin, though. You don't have to pre-order Dojo. I no, I yeah, I agree. Or the Sunrisa donut. I think it's I think Dojo is closer to Top Pot on that scale than it I, is I to Ninth and Hennepin. Dojo is, and that to me is why it's still at number one on the list because it is classic donuts. Like, I, I'm impressed by being able to make very good donuts. But I also think there's an art and a craft to making a traditional donut and having it be really, really good. To be able to pop in and grab a donut. Like, I think there is a value to, there's a value to working for the food that you're getting. But there's also, like, we have to be clear that we're fucking talking about donuts here. You know what I mean? And there has to be a value to, like, I'm driving by a donut shop and I want a donut and I just want to go get one. You know what I mean? Like, there's hundreds of years, I assume. We haven't looked at the donut history. <laughs> but there's... Because I think it's safe to assume they've existed. Hundreds of years of donut history in America that isn't like you're fucking calling up Ben Franklin and asking him... American history. Um, you're calling, <laughs> calling up Ben Franklin and being like, I want four artisanal donuts on Saturday. You know what I mean? That'll be $26. There is a difference between these two things. And I think being in the traditional donut class or whatever and being really fucking good at it, there is a value to that. So uh, we haven't really talked about my dimension here. and <laughs> What is your dimension? Well, the 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 quality, the, I don't the craft perceived. versus creativity dimension. Okay, okay. Because I don't, I don't feel like I would describe... Just let me okay. speak on right, this. Speak, speak, Please. speak on donuts. Our cousin Chris emailed us or, or messaged us last week to say, I think you should be reading traditional donuts and these fancy donuts separately. <clears throat> I'm so over all these crazy concoctions where you eat two bites and it is too much. I'm eating donuts where I need more coffee. I'm hangry. And Tristan, the, my equivalent of Tristan's eight to ten children are climbing all over me. Is it really notable that you managed to put Fruit Loops on a donut and make it okay? No. And he is an aside, says Voodoo's regular donut's not bad, actually. This, I think you need two categories, one for the more enhanced donut and one maybe that is for the more standard glazed maple bar. Or if you really want to go old school butter bars, that second category doesn't allow some add-on to carry the donut. And so one of the things that sometimes comes up in these searches, or like we haven't searched for Seattle's best pizza, because obviously Pagliacci, our, our friends at Pagliacci, <laughs> yeah. Is Seattle's best pizza, but like people will say, you need to try the cheese pizza to be able to compare a place because that's like really where the craft stands out, as opposed to just masking something with creativity. And I don't know that I personally buy that argument because you know my philosophy on this. Whatever the best food item in the menu is, is how good the restaurant is. But I do think there is <clears throat> an element where, like, when you go for create, what I what I respect about Voodoo is Chris said is that I think that their standard donuts are quite good and are competitive with other donut places. That I don't think they that sometimes I think the creativity of Voodoo actually causes people to underrate the utilitarian value of Voodoo, but that has to be contrasted. Like that's part of it, but I do also think there's a craft element to to the best best donut. To me, it shouldn't be this or that. It has to be a, a synthesis of the two. We're talking about the intersectionality of donuts right now. <laughs> like the it's true. That's what we're talking about. I, but like it's funny that he mentions that cuz to me legendary donuts is both what Chris is talking about of 
there's a bunch of shit on there that you're like, okay, yeah, you put M&Ms on a donut. Like, thanks, boss. We know that M&Ms are good. You know what I mean? Like, it's not that hard. But to me, it is a traditional donut when compared to Ninth and Hennepin, right? Yes. Top Pot is kind of the, like, it doesn't do the frilly stuff. It is a classic donut done right. Whatever the taxonomy looks like, Top Pot is dead in the center of it. <laughs> they're doing a lot of different stuff. They're doing it well. Not a lot. They do not have that many donuts. I suppose. But like they, they are a classic donut done well. And and that's where that's kind of where Dojoy meets. But I don't want to say that like donut to donut is Nathan Hennepin better than Dojoy. Yes. I, I it's a yes. really hard conversation. I know, that's not a knock on Dojoy whatsoever. But the reality is we're never eating Dojoy fresh out of the oven. Well, that's not the I mean if you if have to give a representative say, because part of my thing about our searches for Seattle's best <clears throat> is like I want someone who goes there to be able to have a good experience. So if yes, if you somehow manage to get it precisely piping hot out of the oven, it was better and you know, we were able to have that experience with someone else who went wasn't, then that to me is not Seattle's best donut. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying that Joe Joy isn't. I would put Ninth and Hennepin above them right now. In that category, but it's just it just feels like they are two different items. But we have to rank them all together. That's what that's what we are tasked with here by ourselves. <laughs> It is is finding Seattle's best donut. No one, I, literally, no one has asked for this. <laughs> People have emailed a lot. <laughs> <laughs> They've commented on it. They just didn't ask for it. I, I don't want to. I don't want to have two champions though. That's the thing. Is I don't want to have a, a readily available champ and a you have to work for it champ. Because again, the process of getting flower box, which will, and Sonrisa that you're talking on. Is very different than the process of going to top on. I mean, flower box is different than even than Cinerita, So I would put that in a category all by itself in that regard. But like, are the donuts incredible? Am I most excited to go eat the flower box donuts? Is it? Could it be Seattle's best donut? Because that absolutely. Just because you have to work for it doesn't take away its value. But I do think when you have to work for it, it has to be that much better. So, and right now, it, it's really close to me. That's but fair. I do, I do think I would I mean I want I want them both to be in the bracket. That, that's we do that. that's what I think right now. I think Ninth and Hennepin is confidently in the bracket. Agreed. And I think Legendary is probably not. Yeah, I mean, so to get back to that kind of craft element, w- one of the ones that you got for me was basically like a giant chocolate bar. Uh-huh. And I feel like how was that? It was not as good <laughs> as an equivalent donut would be at Dojoy or Top Pot. Or Top Pot. Yeah. They, they make them larger, which is, I think it's, I, I don't know. It's just like a little bit cooked too much. You know what I mean? Right. It doesn't have the, but again, I got those there's donuts. At no like, wet dough. I got those do- donuts at three o'clock, but I do think that Top Pot holds up. No, there was an interesting, I read a mashed.com article on Legendary Donuts where they mentioned that Legendary Donuts welcomes custom accommodations. I'm you can leave this. the store enjoying whatever your heart desires. Simply request what you'd like when you approach the counter and staff will whip up your donut of choice. No questions asked. I had no idea. I've done this before because Jan has her favorite donut, which is called the Sex on the Beach Donut. <laughs> and you're just like, I'm ordering Sex on the Beach for my mom, Janice Pelton. <laughs> I would like to order one Sex on the Beach. Janice Pelton requests it. <laughs> That's what they, they make you say who requested it and their relationship to you. <laughs> or sorry, Sex in the City. Yeah. <laughs> 
Sorry. She might drink a sex on the beach with her sex. I would like to request a sex in the city donut for Janice Pelton. Which is a chocolate cake donut dunked in chocolate icing, drizzled with thick caramel, and sprinkled (laughs) with sea salt. Drizzle your mom in thick caramel. <laughs> Both of our mom. Why? So I, the, I, I've been like, can you make this? Because Jan told me that you could ask for it, and they'll just fucking do whatever. Which I, I do appreciate. I appreciate. Oh, no, I no, really no. like legendary donuts. Yeah. If donuts are good, legendary donuts is great. Yeah. And I, I really like it, but we're talking about the highest possible threshold Agreed. of donuts here in Seattle. And as like, when you, when you talk about breaking it down to its elements in the same way that if we were in Portland doing the search, I don't think voodoo would be in the search. I don't know how many, I'm sure there's a lot of donut places in Portland also, but like, I think voodoo would be in the search. Their maple bars are also, I, but I also don't know about like beautiful the... and soft. And like you have that little crunch when you bite through them, right? Soft on the inside, crispy on the outside. That is the thing that it's really hard to do and Top Pot is able to do. And I'm not sure if Legendary Donuts quite does it. Maybe, but maybe. they are sacrificing quality for, for size, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. Jan does the same thing often. <laughs> <laughs> Very disturbing podcast. All of a sudden, I'm going to be needing to go to therapy after this one. <laughs> I don't know if there's a flower box of Portland. I haven't found it yet. I did some searching for Portland. Any flower box of Portland. Oh, Portland? Yeah, like a list Okay, of so Portland we're doing Sonrisa. Sonarisa this weekend. What was the other Capitol one that we got recommended that was already on the list? I believe half and half. Half and half. And you're not willing to go there. I'm not saying I'm not willing to go there. What day are you eating the Sonarisa? Sunday? Sunday. Super Bowl Sunday. I want to eat those donuts. So you're going to go. What time are you getting the donuts? Are you getting them? One to two is the time. Okay. So you're getting them coming straight to my house. Yes. Okay. Who are we cheering for? Eagles? I guess. I don't. I really, truly do not care. Yeah. I guess probably the Eagles. I don't Does know. one of the teams have? Well, Kansas City has the UW player Trump advantage. Duffy. Yeah. So, we're gonna have to consider that before we get there. Uh, it's not like when the Eagles had Sidney Jones really, back in the day. Yeah, really, just could not care less. Uh, it's kind of just a football game. Just happy the Niners aren't there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get to but this, can, can we do half and half too? You can't eat right. two donuts. What, what the fuck? wrong with you well i'm assuming i'm gonna be eating at least two of the five sinrisa donuts that i've ordered yeah you're acting like five is a lot i routinely get five donuts did jane have a comment on the donut that i got for her uh she did not have a specific comment from no. legendary it was all frosting <laughs> i was just like this looks like i'm gonna puke but i think jan might want it <laughs> but before we get to super bowl sunday we have to talk about seattle burger month which begins on Tuesday with E.T.'s Big Boy Deluxe Combo from Hello. Eric Tanaka, the executive chef of Tom Douglas Seattle, featuring a pair of quarter-pound patties, American cheese, lettuce, blue cheese, iceberg salad, red-eye cocktail sauce, and QP mayo on a sesame seed bun. Eric's explanation, my burger for Burger Month re- represents my first burger crush. When I was a kid, if I was not naughty, we would go to Bob's Big Boy. I would always order the combo with a blue cheese side salad. When you mash it all up, this is what you get, a double stacked burger with a blue cheese salad. So This was a child who ate a blue cheese salad? Interesting, but... Did they spell blue cheese B-L-U-E, not B-L-E-U? Maybe I spelled it. No, I think I copied that from the website, so I think so. Hmm. Yes. Uh, It's interesting because, like, I have no 
big boy experience other than seeing it in Austin, the mascot in Austin Powers. Like, I don't think this, I don't know if it ever existed in Seattle when we were kids, but it definitely is not a place oh, I remember going. Okay, it could be either way. But the but the the big boy burger is the inspiration for the Big Mac. I had no idea. Where, where even are there big boys? A lot of places still, apparently. What the fuck? Why am I not at those places right now? Know. I'm hungry. We've been talking about donuts for like 45 minutes. Not quite that long. It, it seems I know it seems that way to the listener. So I'm very excited to try this out. Where I will definitely. Uh, I was going to say I'll be in a place where there's a big boy this year, and I saw Michigan and Ohio, and I was like, mm-mm. <laughs> I will not. Where are there big boys? Uh, normally, since we record on Tuesdays, uh, we had to move this to Monday this week. Normally, I would have had the burger already. Sadly, that is not the case. But uh, we'll we'll post it on Instagram along with a review tomorrow. Uh, this year's reward for getting your stamp card filled with all four. M- there's one in California, I think. They're mostly in Michigan. Yeah, they've definitely receded from their heyday. Ohio. Uh, if you go get all four of the Seattle Burger Month burgers, a black hat this year with a heart-shaped burger on the front. All right. So there you go. Excited, as always, for Little Woody's Seattle yeah, Burger Month. Looks like there's one in Nevada, one in, or a couple in California. It's all these places where I'm like, oh, they're in Baltimore, and it's like, oh, no. Baltimore, Michigan. <laughs> There's one in, Mary- in Marysville, Michigan. Lovely this time of year. Yeah. Baltimore, Michigan. All right, let's get into the sports, starting with the Mariners, who held I, their pre-spring training. I will not be in any location where there's a big boy this no. year, I'm afraid, or hopefully for the rest of my life. Mariners held their pre-spring training media day last Wednesday at T-Mobile Park. Among the news, the Mariners who will participate in the World Baseball Class Hello. to be played from March 8th through 21st in Japan, Taiwan, and U.S. for the group stages, with the quarterfinals in Tokyo and at the Lone Depot Park in Miami. Semifinals and finals will both be in Miami. Julio Rodriguez, Teoscar Hernandez, and Diego Castillo will play for the Dominican Republic. There we go. Eugenio Suarez will play for Venezuela. Matt Brash for Canada. Matt Festa for Hello. Italy. You know who we're cheering for. Still TBD whether Sam Onofrio Hagerty. He's it's a health issue. Italy. It's not it's not a skill issue, it's a health issue. Well, it's definitely not a skill issue, but I, I think he's cleared, so we'll, we'll see what oh. happens there. And prospect Harry Ford will be playing for Ooh. Great Britain. Harry Ford was my boy before I heard about this. <laughs> I was so excited about Harry Ford as the Mariners prospect, athletic catcher Harry Ford. And then all of a sudden I heard he was playing for Great Britain. And then I was like. (laughs) One Mariners player not participating, Luis Castillo, will not play for the Dominican Republic, which Jerry DePoto called, quote, a choice we made together. I am so okay with any player not playing in the World Baseball Classic. Starting pitcher is It's like different for pitchers. Uh, With with uh, Matt Brash, since he's playing for Canada, the agreement was, therefore, he would be used as a reliever this season by the Mariners. Well, he's probably going to be used as a reliever anyway, right? That was the expect. I mean, obviously, they have six <laughs> It's not starters. like he, he chose the, the World Baseball Classic for Canada to <laughs> over being a starter for the Mariners. Really wanted to represent the South. Uh, Dylan Moore, in other Mariners news, avoided arbitration by agreeing to a three-year $8.875 million contract that buys out both his final arbitration year in 2024 and then the first year of his potential free agency in 2025. So Dylan Moore with the Mariners for the foreseeable future. 
do you think oh actually there are some italian players that you would know on the world baseball on the italian team okay let me hit me with them well do you want to guess if you know any no, I think that's way too. I, my baseball knowledge is not at that point. Yet. Brandon Nimmo and Trey Mancini. Okay, Trey Mancini. That makes sense. Could have seen that one coming. David Fletcher. Yeah, yeah, classic Italian last name like Pelton. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. Max Stasi, Jordan Romano, uh, Royals DH Vinny Pasquantino, who I did not know beforehand. But there's some, they got some guys. Sam Hagerty's listed. I think they're starting. He's, he's probably at least on the preliminary roster. Like some of the earlier reporting suggested, he definitely was going to play. But again, this was the the most recent ups, update was that he uh, he is still uncertain. The, so. the Italian team's got some guys, though. I think I think the Italian team is playing in Taiwan. They're definitely playing in Asia, not in the U.S. bracket. Who is on the U.S. roster? That's a great question to which I have no answer. Okay. So. Will Smith, Pete Alonso, Paul Goldschmidt, Trevor Story, Jeff McNeil. Arenado, Bobby Witt Jr. All right. They got some good players in the U.S. too. <laughs> so it'll be interesting to watch next month. Is, is, is spring training is going on. We'll also have the World Baseball Classic. Uh, Tim Anderson, Trey Turner, Mookie Betts, Bryce Harper. They got maybe more guys than the Italian team. Oh, yeah, I think, I think <laughs> Mike Trout, Kyle Schwarber, Kyle Tucker. Okay. Clayton Kershaw, Adam Wainwright. Uh, I think Nestor Cortez wasn't playing. Maybe he was. I don't know. Uh, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> They're trying to hold the Italian team out of the WBC also. <laughs> they finally let us into an international tournament. <laughs> I feel like we're, Italians are probably pretty good at the American football, like world level, after the North American teams. I feel like we're up there. Like who? Hmm? Tony Siragusa? I don't know. I just I feel <laughs> like they, they care about it more than some of the other European countries. Uh Krakens starting a five-game road trip Tuesday at the Islanders as the All-Star break is over. They'll also play the Devils and the Rangers within a four-day stretch in the NYC Metro before Sunday playing at Philadelphia, wrapping up the road trip next Tuesday in Winnipeg. All right, let's talk about the Sounders, who played in the FIFA Club World Cup on Saturday, losing one nothing to Al Ali SC in the quarterfinals. This match was scoreless into the 88th minute. And the Sounders' defense had not so much as conceded a shot on goal Ugh. before a late surge saw Ali work the crossbar and then had the rebound deflected by Alex Rodon past a diving Stefan Fry for the match's only goal when it seemed all but inevitable that this one was going to go into extra time, which I learned only minutes earlier was possible in the FIFA Club World Cup. I kind of assumed it would go directly to PKs. Wait, so Alex Rodan was trying to clear it? Yeah. And it was an own goal? I don't know how they ended up scoring, and during the match, it was not scored an own goal, but it didn't seem like it was going to be on frame before Rodan de- de- deflected oh. it, which would be, by definition, be an own goal. So, Where does Al Ali rank overall worldwide as far as... I, you're not asking the right person. Isn't there a 538 question. ranking that ranks like every club? Or I don't know if they have the Egyptian Super League in that <laughs> one. They've got the MLS, so I feel like... Well, I think there's like a little local interest in demand. the MLS. <laughs> but, I mean, this is a team that has dominated, uh, you know, the African Champions League, the CAF it, Champions League, had won it, has won it 10 times. Did it feel like it was... I, I mean, I saw none of this because of children's basketball. Wait, do we take out Coach's Corner completely? No, I think I just skipped it over it somehow. Oh, wow. We'll have to come back to it. Uh... 
Did it feel like this was like an even match? Yes. I mean, the Sounders easily could. They probably had like the very slightly better chances. Neither team had a lot of chances, but they probably had the very slightly better chances over the course of this match. And like people are all upset about this result because that's how soccer fans are. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, really all this shit comes down to luck. I talk about how everyone underestimates how much of basketball comes is shot making. <laughs> yes. Think about that in, in a sport soccer. where you play hundred, uh, hundred, you score hundreds of points. It's still luck. Yeah. But in the sport where you score one or two goals or whatever, yeah. also luck. So I, I felt encouraged all things considered by the performance. I don't have those kind of unrealistic expectations for the Sounders that they should win every single match they play. But like, again, they played well. They, they were also like, this, they're playing against a club that's in the middle of their season. They had played. They're in the middle of the season, Owly. Yeah. Okay. They had, the, each member of the Sounders had played one preseason match because the team got split for the two they played last week. So. Where was the match played? In uh, Morocco. Okay. So they were in Morocco. Yeah. They definitely were outnumbered in terms of fan support in this one. Off season. Yeah. And played evenly in this match? Yep. Like, that's almost everything that could possibly be going against you. Like, it was a bummer. It's a bummer to not be able to play Real Madrid in the semifinals of the FIFA It's really World just Cup. like, they every, fans want an invitation to get destroyed by Real Madrid, though. It wasn't, it wasn't like anybody I mean, had the, the dream of beating Real Madrid. I think you have a dream of it. Obviously, Real Madrid is not taking this as seriously as they are the sure. Champions League or La Liga. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it still would have been just fun to play them in a competitive matchup. I, I there was like a lot of references to like the Sounders crash out early. It's like, well, it's a single elimination tournament. <laughs> like the odds at best were going to be like sixty forty that you advance. Like, well, I don't know what you were expecting here. Do you not know how the sport you're watching works? Many people think that about me in basketball, though. <laughs> But the best news from this one was the return of Joao Paulo to competitive play. He, I believe, subbed in at about the 60th minute of this one in the second half, went the rest of the way, looked good. So I, I'm just going to be real. All these tournaments are kind of stupid, though. Like, it, it's just, it's an invitation to play a soccer match. But, like, if the and league... the Sounders left with a million dollars for their troubles. Like, right. it's not that... If, but the, if the league actually cared about these matches... And the team actually cared about these matches. It wouldn't be in fucking February when the season is happening. Like it's just actually, I think it would be. It's just that MLS plays a different schedule than well, the entire rest of the world. Sure, yes, but like MLS wouldn't play if they actually really cared. I'm saying. Well, they've they never had a team in this competition before, so I don't know that MLS is building their schedule around the FIFA Club but, World Cup. But that's it. If they if they really wanted to prioritize the FIFA Club World Cup. Which the the amount of signifiers you get to, you're just like, okay, none of the it doesn't actually matter. Whoever wins this, can you tell me who won the last one? Uh, I know it was the I'm pretty sure it was the European representative because they mentioned it in the match. Wow. That good old fashioned European representative. That's what we're talking about here. Nobody knows. Nobody cares. This isn't the Euro. This I'm isn't sure the, the MLS Cup. Their fans care to a degree about this. All of these tournaments are just like there, there are reasons to play a match against a team, and it's fun, and that's it. Period. I mean, look, again, it would have been getting, a huge deal to play a competitive up, match against Real Madrid. I get but it, but you understand what I'm saying. It's, it's not, getting it's worked not up about, about it. It's not about what this game signifies, because first off, every game is intrinsically meaningful in and of itself. Wow, I thought you were going to say meaningless, because I thought well, all things in life were meaningless. Well, 
Look, been try- we haven't talked about this week in Seattle sports. Tell you about how meaningless all of life is and all of sports is especially. Uh, but no, every soccer game in fucking Morocco is meaningful in pop- the offseason. Nihilism. My point is just that, like, the way you should evaluate a soccer match is not we won, therefore we played good, and we lost, therefore Maybe we played bad. Maybe you shouldn't evaluate a soccer match at all. Perhaps, but I'm saying if you do, you should do it based on the process, not on the results. And the process was Welcome absolutely fine. Welcome to sport. No, but it's more about soccer. There's stories where it's like, what happened in the Belgian team at the World Cup? It's like, they probably lost some close games. Like, yep. it doesn't fucking matter. They weren't going to win the World Cup, period, done. They could have won the World Cup. Those motherfuckers were not anywhere near winning the World Cup. It would have been unlikely, but they could have. Uh-huh. Uh, the Sanders now have three weeks the off. The Italian team was closer to winning the World Cup than Belgium. <sighs> At least if they would have been participating, they probably would have been in it. Sanders will have three weeks off before opening MLS play versus yeah. Colorado. That's how you know it's a tournament February that is stupid and does not matter. It's fine. Can Every I tournament is stupid and doesn't matter. It's okay. Who think it's stupid and does not matter? Look, they're prioritizing whatever the tournament is that we all... Determined we cared about. What, what was the one? CONCACAF Champions League? No, the other one. Nations League? Yeah, the Nations League. They're like, now They're everybody prior- care about the Nations League. And we're like, oh, yeah, let's care about them. We don't care. I'm sorry. These, but these the tournaments are stupid. Is- if you've played FIFA, you know. You know there's all sorts of tournaments. You sim through most of them. You care about the Champions League. And you care about your own league. That's it. Period. I think the people are going to care about the Nations League because it pits... MLS teams against Liga MX teams. Well, they'll all be in the same league soon, as far as I've heard. Eventually. Well, you know who's in the same league now? <laughs> the Seattle Storm and the New York Liberty. Oh, God. But one of those teams has all the star players. <laughs> uh, we recorded last week after Brianna Stewart had, an, or we re-recorded, I should say, last week after Brianna Stewart and announced that she was heading to the New York Liberty as a free agent, but before Courtney Vandersloot had said the same. We'll always have that like 10 minutes when Courtney Vandersloot signed off the storm. So we recorded this immediately after there were a number of reports on Twitter that Vandersloot was signing with the storm, which was pretty shocking to me because like all the like behind the scenes word I had gotten previously was like, well, they're probably going to the same place and everyone expects it to be the Liberty. And lo and behold, a day later, Vandersloot did sign with the Liberty, but that had to kind of change the tenor. I had to edit our (laughs) pod. Can I tell you what I got to? I went, you heard that news. You told me that Slew was signing with the storm. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to go take a shower because you had to go, you had to go write about it or whatever. And I had a meeting or whatever. And I was like, okay, what am I going to say on this podcast or whatever about Courtney Vandersloot? Here's what I came down to. You ready for it? Kent motherfucking Washington. Wow. And I no, never it's... got to utter those words. No, it's I have an... not said Kent motherfucking Washington in any situation outside of this. Now it's an angry Kent motherfucking Yeah, now Washington. it's Kent motherfucking Washington. You just Ugh. play up the Vanderson with the Gonzaga. Oh, God. I'm for real. I actually I had thought about that, too. I was going to say the best professional Gonzaga player, excluding nobody. She is the second best professional Gonzaga player of all time, though. Yeah, that's that's without question. It's I mean, I, the I, Gonzaga players and the professionals are quite bad. Disrespect to Kelly Olenek. Uh <laughs> So the Storm <laughs> do not have Brianna Stewart or Courtney Vandersloot, but they do have more than two players signed to contracts. There we now. go. Uh, they brought Sammy Whitcomb back home. <sighs> Hello. On a I, I'm down day. with that. I'm <laughs> down with that. You know what we have to say about Sammy Whitcomb? University of motherfucking Washington. She did a... Sammy Whitcomb. That's she, right. She did a Zoom with Seattle Media earlier this evening and was wearing a UW... Women's basketball t-shirt. Loved to see it. Yeah. 
Hope you enjoyed that St. Mary's game, Gonzaga. I sure did. I, you, I can, can confirm. Uh, a two-year deal per Richard Cohen, Cohen of HerHoopStats.com. We supplied all the salary data cited here. Uh, Storm also signed Kian Nurse to a two-year contract. Nurse, who uh, briefly overlapped at UConn with Brianna Stewart, was an all-star in 2019 <sighs> with New York Liberty. Before struggling in the wobble, was then traded to Phoenix in 2021, helped the Mercury, was part of the, the team that got to the finals before suffering an ACL tear during the playoffs that sidelined her all of the 2022 season as well. So <laughs> this will be her first WNBA season back from the injury. Uh, but a situation where has a close tie to the Storm coaching staff because she plays for the Canadian national team, coached by Noelle Quinn is an assistant. So. Uh, she projects Those Southerners. Think, yeah, she projects right now. She projects right now. I think is the starter at small forward. Storm also re-signed Ezie Megbegor, who was a reserved free agent, to a two-year deal that pays her three hundred and fifteen thousand dollars combined. That's interesting because they could have potentially re-signed Ezie for the veterans minimum this year, which is seventy-four thousand. But she would then have been restricted next year and in line for a big t- payday. Instead, the Storm are going to use some of what is no longer precious 2023 cap space in exchange for locking in a cheaper salary for Ezzy in 2024. Her contract, like Sammy Whitcomb's, declined slightly in 2024 to kind of maximize that. And then the Storm also signed a pair of guards who finished last season out of the WNBA, Kayla Charles <laughs> and Arella Garantes, both of whom have played well overseas and are both former second-round picks. Really excited about the Garantes signing. She impressed for Puerto Rico in the World Cup, averaging a tournament high 18.2 points per game, along with 6.5 rebounds and 3.2 assists per game. Garantes has also been outstanding in EuroLeague competition this year, averaging 15.4 points, 8.0 rebounds, and 5.4 assists per game. So this is someone that a lot of people are thinking, you know, someone who could be a a great candidate to have, you know, a story like Alicia Clark or Sammy Whitcomb, someone who took a while to break into the league, but uh, eventually enjoyed a long career. Uh, also an update, Rowan Schauberg of The Next shared a note from Storm PR that Mercedes Russell is, quote, fully cleared, and we are expecting her to be a full participant at the start of camp. So, you know, possibly plug Russell in as your starting center, as he at the four. You might have four of the five starting lineup spots filled already. Now, that leaves the question of what happens at point guard. Uh, so I'm probably looking for one of those and a post player in free agency. Marina Mabry of the Dallas Wings remains unsigned as a restricted free agent. Mariah Jefferson, probably the next best option at point guard. Another UConn player who teamed with Nurse briefly. Beyond them, you'd be really a big step down to Rachel Bannum or perhaps the return of Jordan Canada in free agency. Okay. And then there's a possibility you can't rule out which is if Skylar Diggins-Smith gets traded, the Storm consider making a move for her at point guard, Phoenix. Okay. And, and she's expecting this offseason, which will affect her availability for the 2023 season. Surprised that WNBA doesn't have a rule against that? They do not. They, they have... <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to engage with it. <laughs> okay. Up front, could look at veterans Teresa Plaisance or Kia Stokes, who started against the Storm for Las Vegas in last year's semifinals. But, uh, you know, besides the players we know are likely to return to their teams, including the Oguma case, haven't yet officially signed. Uh, the, and Brittany Griner also notably hasn't signed yet. Uh, the picking's pretty slim in the front court at this point. Okay, so with all these moves, everything that's happened, knowing where the power lies in the WNBA, where do the Storm rank? among the 12 teams right now 
I think somewhere in the... It's probably going to be... I mean, I think after the top two, there's probably going to be considerable parity. I would say somewhere 5th through ninth or 10th at this point. Okay, so they may still make the playoffs. I think it's more likely than not that they won't make the playoffs. Really? Assuming they fill out the roster sort of as we expect. Like, I, I think the talk that, like, oh, they can't compete, they have to rebuild... It's a little disrespectful to Jewel Lloyd. I now part of it is people wondering if the Storm would consider trading Jewel Lloyd because you know she's going to be unrestricted after this season, and you don't want to see another free agent get away, you know, without getting anything in return. Who would they but, trade her for though? The, the WNBA doesn't have the infrastructure of like you trade for three first round draft picks and three trade like three swaps or whatever. No, right? but you could trade for two first round picks realistically, and maybe one of those is in the top half of the draft of the round this year. Uh, but I, I don't think, like, Jewel Lloyd likes playing in Seattle. She chose to sign a two-year deal, knowing full well that Brianna Stewart was signing a one-year deal last year. Like, none of this could have shocked Jewel Lloyd. I, and she talked a lot last off se- at the end of last season about recruiting free agents to come here mm-hmm. and play with her. I think, you know, you might have an easier time she doing that in 2024 when more about that. they don't all <laughs> go to New York or Las Vegas. Yeah. I, I do think this ultimately will probably... I don't want to say backfire, but like those two teams are not going to be able to sign everybody forever and ever. Correct. So I, as I said on the podcast last week, I think we're in a moment in the WNBA. This is not an era in the WNBA. I mean, those two teams, they shot their shot and the players shot their shot or whatever. And if there is a Liberty versus Aces finals, it'd be a huge deal for the WNBA. But like when you have teams like that, everybody else is looking for players like that. Yeah. You know, and, and, and trying to gear up for it. The other aspect is we talked about a little bit last week, but I think has only been reinforced as I kind of read about it since then. 2024 draft is shaping up as being transform- transformative in the really? NBA. In so then why are you telling me, okay, so this is, the, has a, the 23 draft has happened? No, it won't happen until April. But it's based upon last year's records. Correct. So why are the Storm not tanking? Against two-year record, so that affects this their ability to tank all the way to their top. But also, like, it's not just four players. It's not just one or two players. Wait, it's not just it, four players. It's a two-year like, record, so it'd be the 23 and 24? No, 22 and 23. So oh, okay. you're where the Storm were very good. Thanks, Dewey. The equation. Thank you for that. It, it's still lottery. So just just within the lo- four lottery teams. But, like, even if you're picking sixth next year, which I think is like a reasonable expectation that's still likely to be a very good player is what I'm telling you. But also the other five teams are going to get a very good player ahead of you. Is there anybody? Sure. But you know, who's not getting a very good player, Las Vegas and New York. Yeah. That's the point. Is there, is there anybody who is like Wemby scoop level, like way above everybody else? Well, Paige Beckers and Caitlin Clark are probably in a tier of their own, but look, Cameron Brink from Stanford was a great prospect. Can the Storm there figure it out to be able to do both? Can they be good this year? And get? can they Seahawks it? No, I don't think that's There's realistic. There's no way to go out and get one of those top two picks and have Jewel Lloyd be a star. Yes, I do not think there's a way to do that. Also, teams are probably going to be a little more reluctant to trade their picks this year because... Knowing what the draft looks like. But also because Los Angeles last year traded away a lottery pick for Kennedy Carter, thinking that they were going to be a playoff team. And you can also throw in, there was a complex three-team trade where Chicago ended up with Phoenix's first-round pick this year. And Phoenix, uh, obviously, unforeseen circumstances with Brittany Griner's uh, detention in Russia. But 
they ended up giving the fifth pick to Chicago in that trade. So. All right. Well, I guess we'll see. Let me just ask you. Vegas were the Storm's biggest rivals this year, right? Yeah. All of a sudden, Stewie and Slute are in New York. Are we Aces fans? <laughs> I I don't know how we how we feel about things. But like, are we? I I think people may feel that way. I mean, Alicia Clark is there, longtime Storm player, so that's certainly a factor in this. But like, Kelsey Plum. Kelsey Plum is there. Yeah, obviously. Is their star player. They're in Vegas, which we feel comfortable with. I I mean, I also know people who work with their organization. So, yeah, I mean, <sighs> no, now we have to reckon with how the Aces trading Dierica Hamby, but uh, that's, that's a separate discussion. I have no idea what that means. Well, she was pregnant and... Uh, oh, there was that. Okay. Yes. But, alleged mistreatment. But, like... We could cheer against the Gonzaga grad, whatever her name is. Courtney Vanderson. And, and I forgot it already. <laughs> you, you did not. Dan Dickow. And Stewie. Now. First off, like, the season doesn't start for another three there's months. Like, you don't have to, like, decide today. I feel like the WNBA is, like, a little bit too friendly. Like, there's almost... An, I saw no animosity for Stewie. It would have been nice for there to have been, like, not, like, straight up burning your jersey level, but, like, come on. A little something. I, I don't think... So no, Stewie won two championships here. Like her, her Seattle. Like we're gonna have the Stewie jersey retirement in some year, like inevitably. We're also gonna have the Etro jersey retirement. But I mean, <clears throat> obviously Etro is not as good a player as Brianna Stewart. But <laughs> I don't understand the comparison. Etro got traded by the Mariners. Well, ready or not. UW softball season is here. They'll begin the 2023 campaign at the Mark Campbell Invitational in Irvine this weekend, facing number 19 Duke on Thursday and unanimous number one Oklahoma on Saturday night, in addition to facing San Jose State and Liberty in a doubleheader on Friday. And then we'll also tack on, they, they decided to play an extra game this weekend, a matchup against Loyola Marymount uh, on Sunday. Is it at Loyola Marymount? Yeah. Oh, we know what they want to do. They'll stay in SoCal. They want to do the exact same thing I want to do right now. The oil rain is also trading in SoCal. A lot of Seattle teams down in California right now. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna tack on one game against Loyola Marymount this weekend. <laughs> for, ever, for, we, seen, look, we didn't do Coach's Corner yet. Have you ever seen the Loyola Marymount campus? I absolutely have. Man, yeah. I was when I saw, first saw that. Obviously, I was working. For, I was working for the Sonics. That's when, and we stayed out in Marina Del Rey. I was like, "Why does anyone not go to Loyola Marymount?" Well, they could also go to Pepperdine. <laughs> That's a fair point. Those are the two options. Uh, Huskies ranked number sixteen in the ESPN.com/USA Softball Top Twenty-Five, picked third in the preseason Pac-12 coaches pool behind UCLA and Stanford, with four players on the preseason All-Pac-12 team. Returning stars Madison Husky, Bailey Klingler, and Sammy Reynolds as well as Lindsey Lopez, a transfer from Arizona State who earned all Pac-12 first-team honors at pitcher last season. So this is our new ace, Lindsey Lopez. I just learned this today. Lindsey Lopez. Yeah. Transfer from Arizona State. Hello. Love it in conference transfer. Yeah. Can you you do it on a a hot Saturday? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's not quite as hot during softball season, I think, but... Do you want to do you want to drop in coach's corner here? Let's do, you do coach's corner. Okay, yeah. hey, this is all you, this isn't all you coach's corner. I've yeah, coached. You said enough. you have no text, so I tweeted. 
about not yelling coaching advice at players during youth basketball games. A, uh, in one of my most viral tweets in recent memory. And people were wondering, first of all, someone asked, was this you? And of course not, because you were coaching the team. You were supposed to be yelling at the, at the children. Uh, to the children, not at the children. Uh, and number two, people were saying, oh man, incredible Pelton guest segment coming up this week. And Coach's Corner gets coming up this week. And I was like, actually, no. Like, it wasn't that notable a thing. When I tweet something, it's more like a general axiom than a specific subtweet of a parent in the crowd. You you didn't uh, you weren't there for Baby is Fantasy Genius. I, I was the best that. hooper in the family. I was I was Excluding watching the Sounders at that point. Nobody, the entire family. And I will say he dropped in another six points this week, and he got yelled at for passing, or for not passing. <laughs> and at one point, he did lay on the ground face down. <laughs> Because he just goes through everything, right? Well, what was the context of this? They was were, it people not passing to him? No, he was mad that he got in trouble for not passing. Uh, which I just want... I like was getting... I, I'm always... I'm going to see see his way. You know what I mean? Uh, and I feel like a lot of the like not passing that the team does, he gets blamed for. And there's other kids in the team who don't pass either. And there's other kids in the team who don't pass who don't make the kind of buckets that he makes. Wow. So... I'm just going to be real. So he was getting a little bit in trouble for not passing. And then he was like, I decided to pass. It was like when Gilbert Arenas, right? He got criticized for not passing. And then he had like 18 assists the next game. Do you remember that? Well, there's like famous. How about Kobe in the 2006 series against Phoenix when he like didn't shoot at all in the That's, second that half was, of game seven? That was Mateo in the second half of his wow. game on Saturday. He was like, I kept a counter in my head of passes that I made. And I got up two five. He actually said that. Yes. Wow. Incredible. Yeah. He had a little pass counter in his head. He can't count assists because nobody else in the team can score any points. But he got up to five, and then he that then he cried how, a little how bit. How did the Memphis Grizzlies scorekeeper have? <laughs> what? You don't know that reference? No. A viral Reddit thread that took NBA Twitter by storm. The the Grizzler. There was an argument that they were stat padding wow. to try to inflate Jaron Jackson Jr.'s chances of winning Defensive Player of the Year, which was quickly debunked. Wow. Okay. Anyway, that that that's when he cried face down on the floor after the his counter hit five. <laughs> too many passes. And Mrs. Fantasy Genius went over and comforted him. Was like, "You don't have to pass anymore." Wow. Then he was buckets again. Let's go. <laughs> so you missed that part. You only got to see my desultory team. They, I, they, they welcomed you to the arena, the Renton Community Center arena. Because <laughs> you refer to it always, the arena. By, by having one of the just most pathetic performances I've ever seen in my entire life. It, it, it got away from them a little bit in the second half. Uh, you know, I think the other team had some, some taller and more athletic players, so it was not quite a level playing field. Uh, your team, you know, I think, you know, had some good looks that they couldn't knock down. Uh, I think you were kind of trying to do the right things. It was, by the way, like so blatant that you were playing as out in the paint, like especially like whenever one of the defenders like I mean I'm yelling it at them to play a zone. It's not like the like the refs are not trying to pick. I'm like play a zone in the paint. <laughs> it's illegal, but like, do you think the refs know that it's illegal? They're only trying to call illegal screens on Luca. I can't believe I literally cannot believe they called that. Every single screen my team sets is illegal. And then they called an illegal screen. It was like, was it that egregious? 
I guess it was. Uh, but we saw much better results when I watched your middle child, Marco, in a game that was coached in the f- first half by Mrs. Fantasy Genius. The team <laughs> played quite well when she was in charge. <laughs> then you came for the second half, and it was all downhill from there. They got it together. No, my favorite thing about it was that after the game, your advice to me, ESPN's Kevin Pelton, <laughs> right? NBA analyst. You watch a lot of basketball, so you know what you're talking about. I, I, yeah, yeah. You were like, on the internet disagree, but you were like, the, literally the only advice you had for my team was. Although I don't think the Kyrie trade grades were that controversial this time. You might want to tell your kids not to dribble the ball into the corner as much as if I haven't fucking told the kids not to dribble the ball into the corner. You're just like really, you thought I forgot, really blowing out the microphone. You thought I forgot to tell the kids not to dribble I, the ball I just don't right know into the corner and get trapped. You it. you, it's literally the only thing that I mentioned. I mean, I went to a practice. You mentioned other things. I disagree with your assessment. Ugh. Well, thanks for the feedback. Anyway, how did Husky women's basketball do this week? Well, it was a very exciting oh, weekend wow. for UW women's basketball and not a slightly less exciting weekend for me, as we'll get to in a second here. Friday night, it was their largest margin of victory in Pac-12 play as they beat Cal 70-54, to holding the Bears to 36% shooting, facing her former team for the first time. Delia Daniels had 20 points on 8 of 13 shooting to lead four Huskies in double figures. Sunday, number two Stanford <laughs> comes to town, and I decided to, to show up for this game. I get there right before tip-off. I watch the first, like, seven minutes. There's a timeout. I pull out my phone. I see that Kyrie Irving has been traded. And it was the Abe Simpson meme. I grabbed my hat and coat back and walked right out the door and wrote those Kyrie Irving trade goods and did not see a second of the rest of this game. Is the Huskies pulled an incredible 72-67 upset over the number two team in the country. The second time in program history beating a top-two ranked team. Obviously, the other one coming against Stanford back in 1990. Wow. Chris Gobert is coach. So this is a historic victory. This is truly a historic victory. Uh, Huskies were down double digits in the first half, but then went on a 16-0 run in the second quarter to take a halftime lead. Uh, I did go back and watch on on video this this morning, the second half, and neither team led by more than seven during a back-and-forth Fourth quarter, Huskies held Stanford without a bucket from the 319 mark until Haley Jones scored a meaningless layup just before the buzzer. And, like, you look at the stats, there's really nothing fluky about it. Stanford was the one that shot 7 of 16 from 3. The Huskies were 6 of 20. But the Huskies dominated the glass. They pulled down 11 offensive rebounds to just 2 for the Cardinal with their giant front line. For 16 turnovers, were committing just 10, and therefore had eight more shot attempts and five more foul shots than Stanford. Like, I don't want to say this was coming based on them being competitive against good teams, because Stanford is still, you know, a notch above the other teams that they've been playing. But this, to me, is more a sign of progress than a program in the program than it is a total and complete outlier. It's monster victory. I mean. No matter what, beating Stanford and number two ranked Stanford is huge, right? Yeah, and it already matches the most wins they've had in conference play since Kelsey Plum's senior season, which was 2017. So, like, they've had back-to-back top 25 recruiting classes. Tina Langley has this thing headed in the right direction. And one of those players was El Ladine, who, as you talked about at the top of the show, Pac-12 Freshman of the Week. And, like, 5'11 perimeter player was running pick-and-roll, making threes, like, obviously, that's not her level of play. I, I looked this up. She 
shooting 19% from three on oh the season. Oh, my God. So, which has hurt her efficiency. But <laughs> Hannah Steins, who didn't play, uh, definitely didn't play in the second half of this one, but is, a, is another freshman guard and is playing a lot for the Huskies. Like, there are two players for the future. Delayed Daniels as a sophomore, you know, hopefully is going to be here for the long term. As a, a Seattle product playing for Hello. the Huskies, very strange thing. More strange in women's basketball, frankly, than it is in men's basketball. Okay, so flashback to the... Was it the 03 Husky basketball team? Uh, 04, yeah. 04 Husky basketball team. What was the turning point game? It was at Oregon State when they were down in the second half. Okay. Came back to win in overtime. But then there was a huge win over Arizona. That was kind of like the big one. Well, and also they beat an undefeated number one Stanford That was later, team. though. That yeah. was later in the season. Yeah. Arizona was like, oh, shit, this team is real. Yeah, that was the first time this where I was could like, make the oh, NCAA my tournament. God. I should maybe pay attention to this An- basketball Another game, game I did not attend. <laughs> You attended this game. That counts. Yeah, I was there. I have the ticket. Yeah. Uh, is there is there a corollary between this? Like, are... no, they're not gonna they're not gonna make the NCAA tournament. They're you not don't think make there's that a chance? Kind of ride. I mean, just the Pac-12 is too tough. Like, remember that Pac-12 men's basketball, similar to many Pac-12 men's basketball seasons. It's just Arizona. There were three. You know, Stanford was number one. Oh, again, I Stanford, was undefeated yes, all yeah. year. Arizona was good. Utah was the third team that made the tournament, and they. Barely, they made it by the skin of their teeth. Yes. So, this the, the Pac-12 by making in, the Pac-12 tournament final, right? Correct. And losing to Stanford. Stanford again. Yeah. They beat Arizona three times that year. That is wild. The women's basketball Pac-12 is monstrous. So their next weekend, your reward for this is you'll get to play the Mountain Schools on the road, and Utah up to number seven now, tied with Stanford atop the Pac-12 at ten and two, twenty and two overall, having beat UCLA, top ten UCLA at home two weeks ago, and swept the Oregon road trip last weekend. Well, guess what? So did Colorado, oh which has cracked the top twenty-five at number twenty-five, and their nine and three conference record is good for third in the Pac-12 behind Stanford and Utah. So this might be one year away. I think they're a year away, yeah. I think next year, like I had some bold predictions teed up, and then I think they, late in December they lost at home to an unranked team, non-conference team, and I was like, eh, Has there been maybe. as much transfer portal stuff in no, women's not, college basketball? I mean, certainly there are transfers. Again, Delea Daniels is their, probably their best player and transferred in conference from Cal coming back home. But it's not Where as Where did Delea Daniels boom. go to school? Garfield. Okay. And they did lose, like, Colorado. Still, still waiting to say Kent motherfucking Washington. We, no, no, not tonight. <laughs> we mentioned Tamia Sadler was their last Pac-12 freshman of the week. After that season, uh, with the coaching change, she went to Colorado along with Quay Miller, who is their leading scorer on this top 25 team. So that's a little unfortunate. But again, it's not, to the, it's not like you look at it and say, well, it's cool that we have these good freshmen, but they're probably going to be in another team next year. Not, okay. It's not quite that what, bad. What about the flip side? Men's basketball? Men's basketball. <sighs> they actually were competitive in LA last weekend. <laughs> cool. They trailed 26-8 early at UCLA, but managed to get as close as six in the final minute before losing by nine. Keon Brooks Jr. had 23 in that one to lead the Huskies. Keon Manyfield went scoreless, and Noah Williams did not play by coach's decision, a decision that was made pregame and was not explained at all by Mike Hopkins postgame. Then on Saturday, with Cole Bajama suspended at USC for striking UCLA's Dembona in the groin, a decision Hopkins and Jen Cohen said in a joint statement left them, quote, surprised and extremely disappointed. Williams returned to the rotation off the bench. Medifield this time played all 40 minutes, scoring 21 points. Brooks had 22 and 10 boards. 
but Braxton Mia fouling out after just 19 minutes was too much for the Huskies to overcome. USC was plus 12 with Mia on the court, minus 18, or UW was uh, plus 12 with Mia on the court, I should say, and minus 18 with him on the bench. Are we going to talk about coming up, or are we going to get into it? Let's talk about what's coming up first. All right, so Saturday night, it's the basketball Apple Cup for the first time this season. The Cougs have had a weird season. They are ranked number 62 in Ken Palm, 40 spots higher than UW, but have an identical 5-9 and nine conference record in three fewer wins total. They are the second highest ranked team in Ken Palm with a below 500 record after Ohio State. And to find somebody with a worse record, you have to go down to number 108 Mississippi. Per Ken Palm's luck calculation over underperforming point differential, just two teams, including the Buckeyes, have been unluckier than Washington State this season. They also have faced the hardest schedule in conference play, with the Huskies number two in that regard, slightly easier by virtue of getting to play at Oregon State instead of against Oregon. All of which is to say, this isn't the step forward Washington State expected after going 11-9 in Pac-12 play last year and reaching the Final Four of the NIT. But if you look at it another way, this is still UW's second-best conference-winning percentage. Wazoo's. Washington State's second-best conference-winning percentage since 2015. Their second-best Ken Palm rating since Clay Thompson's final year in 2010-11. Both of those behind last season. So long-term, Kyle Smith clearly has the Cougars headed in the right direction. Yeah, and I think, I think you could definitely say, like, Wazoo probably has the right person leading their program. Yeah. It's time to have the conversation. Brandon Boyd asked for it on Twitter last I mean, week. We've been waiting for it for a while. I don't know if we've been waiting for it so much as just like it, it's been, too apathetic even to have the conversation. <laughs> but it's not even that. It's It's been necessary for a while, and it's been years, ultimately. I mean... I mean we, we were impressed by Hop for a while at the beginning. But look, we've been through a lot these past 12 months. The Chinese spy balloon, George Santos, the 18 inning baseball game, my coaching career... Turnstile being shut out at the Grammys, the barbecue search. We just don't have enough time or patience left for another year of a Mike Hopkins UW men's basketball team. And that's the reality that we're looking at at this moment is it is time. We have hit rock bottom as UW men's basketball. We've seen the same thing for multiple years in a row. A little bit of hope with a lot of bad shooting. And Mike Hopkins is just not the right coach for the University of Washington. So Hopkins has two years remaining on the six-year contract he signed after the Huskies made the NCAA tournament in 2019, which is their only appearance in the past 12 seasons. Don't forget that the money is fake and the money is endless. It does not end. The money truly does not end. The money does end. It, I think it would have been a challenge for them to move on from Mike Hopkins last year after doing so from Jimmy Lake earlier in the academic year. But... The football program is in a good spot right now. The I think that I think fin- that hurts Mike Hopkins. I, I think agree. What the financial the, the financial situation is more is more conducive to, and it's now only two years instead of three. So he's scheduled to make three point one million in two thousand twenty three twenty four, three point two million in two thousand twenty four twenty five, or what's remaining on his contract beyond this season, and. Uh, the Huskies haven't enjoyed any form of postseason play since 2019. Any form? Not even the... the well, they could have probably gone the to NIL? some of if they wanted no. to. <laughs> that a tournament? <laughs> you know who always wins the NIL? <laughs> Who's that? The players. The players sometimes. Somehow Drew, Syrac- Drew Timmy wins the NIL. Somehow Jim Beheim lost NIL. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. Uh, 
The Huskies haven't been ranked in the Ken Palm top 70 since the end of the 2019-20 season. And even if you go back to like the six years under Romar at the end of his tenure, they didn't make the NCAA tournament. They had two seasons where they finished better than that. They were like at least in the like on the bubble, on the fringes of the bubble. They haven't even been on the fringes of the bubble the last Absolutely. three years. But I think it's just like the lack of excitement about the program. Like they played Arizona. And I remember even when I was there, like under Bob Bender in the, at the end of the Bob Bender era, during a period where UW had not had the sustained, sustained success anytime recently that they did have in the two thousands under Romar, like still the Arizona game was a big deal. It would be sold out. And just like, there's nothing anymore. There's no buzz. There's nothing. And all as we've talked about many times, like, look, Right now, for a long period of time, UW men's basketball was like the show in town as soon as the Seahawks ended, between the Seahawks and the Sounders. Well, guess what? The Kraken are here now. They're first in the Pacific Division, and the Sonics are coming before too long. And if you can't <laughs> That's be... like the most confident I've ever heard ESPN's Kevin Pelton say that the Sonics are coming. I don't... I'm like, you said that, and I got a little bit struck. I don't want to commit to win. Wow. Or where or how. I mean, I guess where is Climate Pledge Arena. We do know that part. <laughs> Seattle, Washington. <laughs> All the way from here to Spanaway. <laughs> but if you can't be fucking relevant now, you are never going to be relevant in this city in men's basketball. Well, I wouldn't say that Seattle is at the same quality as it has been. I mean, it, it's been a great basketball city for two decades. Literally the number one pick in the draft was from Seattle. True. And didn't his, his mom and his dad both played sports at UW. And he didn't come here. And that to me is he just like, even like it's a fucking like it's a it is a a pock on Mike Hopkins' tenure. Lorenzo Roma was signing Paulo. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah. Like that that's it. It's just like Mike Hopkins doesn't represent our city. Never represent our city, right? Has never once put he he had which I don't think you necessarily need to do because I think that's one. Well, of the you lessons. have to be good or you have to represent right. the city. I think that's one, one way of, or the other. Like. He, Part of probably my apathy is like, well, who is the coach on the West Coast? Because it was different last year when we had our guy but at the, USF. Todd Golden? Yeah. He was not coming. Like, there were better options for Todd Golden. I, it didn't wasn't, know, I didn't know the Florida offer was coming. He wasn't sitting around waiting for UW, though. I, I agree with that. I, I think, it's not about necessarily finding, like, being like, there's the one coach. It's about knowing your current coach is wrong. But you have to find the right. Well, Florida's actually doing okay. They're six and three in conference, up to number thirty-nine in Kempa. Not bad. Uh, not bad. I mean, I kill for that. We would kill for that. No, I think you have to know who the next person is. I did, but, but I think, why? Why do you invest another year in fucking Mike Hopkins? When we I, but know that's who Mike Hopin, Hopkins. Just is. because I don't know who that person is, and that person maybe isn't on the West Coast, doesn't mean there isn't a person. Like Tina Langley wasn't a hot coaching name, but. It looks like UW made the right choice there. And one of the things they did is they paid to go out and get an assistant with strong recruiting ties on the West Coast, Katie Faulkner, who's their recruiting coordinator. And that's the key to these back-to-back -to -back top 25 recruiting classes. I mean, I would had. still love for Will Conroy to be back. for Without Q question, we want It's just them. Mike Hopkins who's the problem. Because he didn't play at UW. <laughs> so the hot coaching candidates who do exist on the West Coast... Both in the state of Utah. There we go. Uh, there's Ryan Odom at Utah. West Coast is a very loose definition. <laughs> if you were in Utah, I don't think you would describe yourself as being on the coast. If you're west of the Big 12 region, you count as okay. on the west coast for, <laughs> for this definition. Like, they're recruiting. Let's just take the coast word out of it. If you're in Utah, you're recruiting California. This is the sure. point. 
So Ryan Odom uh, at Utah State, you know him from leading Hello. UMBC to the first ever win by a number 16 seed over number one in NCAA tournament history. God damn, I love UMBC. Back in 2018. I'm not sure about Utah State, but... Uh, UMBC did not enjoy postseason play the next three years, but in his second year in Logan, Odom has picked up where Craig Smith left off with NCAA tournament appearances. Where's Craig Smith at? Hold on. In okay. both 2019 and 2021, behind Namish Keda, including playing UW in the first round in 2019, losing to Mike Hopkins, before being hired at Utah, okay, where the Utes destroyed UW a couple weeks ago, you recall. So, so. Craig Smith was the coach at Utah State. Yes. Then moved over Had to them Utah. on the rise, but Namiya Keda was a big part of it, and he left before Ryan Odom got there. Where did he go? Sacramento Kings, two-way contract. Oh, okay. And they've continued to play well. They're number 40 in Ken Palm. Uh, currently, I don't know if they're leading. Yeah, they're not leading because the Mountain West is like very strong in this year. The, the Mountain West is the premier basketball conference oh, on the it, back I feel like it West kinda, Coast. It kind of always has been. Not necessarily. It's like the astronaut meme. <laughs> Some years it was the West Coast Conference. Oh, it's the Mountain West, I guess. That's what you're saying. Yeah, the no, West Coast sorry. Conference, outside of Gonzaga and St. Mary's, actually very down this year, I would say. Yeah. Uh, we, we talked back in the fall about uh, the strong start for Portland when they beat Villanova and lost by one point to Michigan State in the PK tournament, but they are 4-7 and seven in conference play. So Shante Lagans, the uh, former Eastern head coach, oh. no longer as hot a, a coaching candidate. Uh, okay, the else? other guy you might look at is Mark Madsen from <laughs> Utah Valley. Similar story. He took over for another successful coach who got promoted within the state. Bring, for, coming, coming back to the most important victory in that UW team, right? Yeah, yeah very fittingly. Former Husky Mark Pope was the head coach at Utah Valley. He got the BYU job. Why is Mark Pope not a candidate? Uh, I think Mark Pope is probably culturally a, a good fit at BYU and happy where he is. He's Mormon. And BYU <laughs> That's was, what you're telling me. BYU is also like... Are, is UW a step up from BYU? I'm not really sure it is. It's a step up from BYU. Mm, not sure it is. Uh, nine and two so far in WAC play. They're leading How do we the get conference. To the Big Ten? I don't know if that's going to be better. For it's time to prioritize basketball, though. Like you were talking about, football has been prioritized. It's time to prioritize basketball. I agree. They've brought everybody back. We know what football looks like next year, and the reality is. We just cannot have a mic. We know what next year looks like. Like you don't have to know Sir Tristan the situation to know what if Mike Hopkins comes back, what the 2024 basketball season will look like. You can just control C, control V this season because they can't shoot, and that's it. Period. There's nothing exciting happening. You might win a random game or whatever, but they need an overhaul of the program. And we knew it was. We really knew it was a matter of time. I mean, obviously, like, look, when you sign someone to a six-year contract and the program immediately begins heading downhill after you sign that contract, like, the longer it you go... It always felt like a house of cards. It was... There was never a moment... I don't agree that it felt like a There was never a moment that we felt yeah. the way about Hopkins, that we, about my cop, that we ever felt about Loro. Well, sure. There's a variety of factors that went into that, but he did win Coach of the Year two times in a row in the conference before they rewarded him with the extension. Like, in hindsight... It's clear that it's just Matisse Thibel happened to be the most yes. perfect fit for the zone that has ever happened in the history of zone defense. I stand by that. I do not consider that hyperbole. <laughs> uh, don't, don't name the players you could think of. I don't care. It's Matisse Thibel. is the greatest zone defender in the history of zone defense. 40-foot arms. <laughs> <laughs> and Jalen Noel was like a really great late-game offense guy if you're going to not have a late-game offense. Lucky. Sure. 
But I don't think to say that we never, like we always knew it was a house of cards is a fair assessment. Do you think, what has to happen for the rest of the year for Mike Hopkins to come back and for Mike Hopkins to be gone? If it's, if it's about the same as it is right now, is he gone? I think probably so, but I, I mean, we've know. seen, I, I guess, UW had an extraordinarily bad season in La Rose last year. Correct. And they haven't had that kind of disaster season under Mike Hopkins. But there was also the hope at the, at the end of the tunnel for that La Rose season. Correct. And there isn't that this year. They, they do have a nice four-star recruit coming in. Who's that? Uh, I forget. Something Hopkins. No, not Hopkins. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that would be very funny. It's not an Oregon State situation. What, what is the name of the four-star? Wesley Yates is the uh, four-star. Is he star. white? He is not. No, he's, uh, okay. I believe, related to Quincy Pondexter. Wait, really? I think so. Okay. Make him the fucking coach. I, I don't think that making Quincy Pondexter the head coach would be the, the right move at the current time. I mean, Will Conroy is certainly going to be a candidate. Who was the four-star recruit that they had who was just like, this dude cannot play basketball? Uh, that, would, that would probably be Jackson Gray. Yeah, from like Olympia or whatever. Yes. It was just like, he was playing against my players down in fucking Tumwater or whatever. You know, uh, Jackson Grant has filled some minutes when Braxton Mead has been in foul <laughs> trouble. Uh, we'll see but really what the season is about it's just about playing out the rest of the year and seeing what happens after this at this point right the idea of making the NCAA tournament as an at-large team is over like that's the astronaut meme always was (laughs) but that's something that when you get it's February 6th you know what I mean like it would be fun to enjoy basketball and it's just not even on my radar I mean the really telling thing, among other things, like I mentioned the Arizona situation, but it was like when they were leading against USC, it wasn't even that exciting. It was just like, okay, they might win this. Won't change anything. Yeah, who cares? Yeah. And it wasn't It wasn't like UW women's basketball under Tina Langley, right? Yeah. Where they beat Stanford and it felt like there was momentum in the right direction. It's like, look, maybe they, they fucking beat St. Mary's. It was like, that was awesome. It's kind of amazing, as we remarked on, as St. Mary's was beating Gonzaga, that somehow this team lost to UW. They are number seven. They're fucking number seven in the Ken Palm rankings. St. Mary's? Yeah. No. Wow, they, they haven't lost since UW? No, they, they lost State. several games after What UW. happened? And they were just like so devastated by the loss to UW. <laughs> and then they also played number one Houston in the Ken Palm rankings. Uh, uh, but the, since losing to Colorado State at home on December 18th, they have won now 12 consecutive wow, games. Which is the Who's Asian's their coach? Second longest Randy Bennett? Winning streak. Yeah. Not available? I don't think he's, he's changing schools at this point. Not interested. Uh, how old is Randy Bennett? <laughs> <laughs> he's been there forever, right? He has been there since forever. There's no Chris Peterson out there, though. 2002. There's no Chris Peterson out there, and there's the uh, UW that program is not you, yes. the University of Washington. Football. Yes, the basketball program it's is not a not sleeping giant. It is a job. It's, it's the team that shares the court with volleyball and women's basketball. Correct. Randy Bennett's 60, so again, I don't think he's been there for two decades. I don't I just, think he's coming to I don't to think it's that much to ask to have some competitive basketball well, of course. Like, look, UW is still, th- those that issue aside, 
like all things considered, resource wise, they're in the top half of the Big Twelve, Pac Twelve. Like <laughs> you're not talking in, right there. Not in the top half of any big conference. <laughs> I don't even know if they are in the top half of the Big Twelve anyway. They're not. No. <laughs> big Twelve is pretty good basketball. It's fucking awesome <laughs> conference. Uh, we might be there. We'll see. We'll see all these negotiations. <laughs> they they should not. Big be. Ten is a pipe dream, but okay. They should not be where they are in the conference as consistently as they are. I'm just trying to ride Arizona's coattails to the Big 12. Like, I think a reason, if I'm setting reasonable baselines for you to have men's basketball, it's like make the tournament every two to three years is reasonable expectations. Like, I don't know how, how often it was in Ken Pond, in, uh, Ken Pond, in Ro, Low Rose tenure. Let's see here. They made it one, two, three, four, five, <sighs> six times out of 15 seasons. So yeah, once every two and a half. And some they were competitive in those years. A lot of those years, it wasn't like oh snubbed terribly in multiple of those years. They were they were snubbed, but they also had a number one seed. And Won the fucking conference and didn't make the NCAA tournament. That was bullshit. But like, they they had a chance to actually compete, and Mike Hopkins has never done that. Anyway, have a lovely place in upstate New York. All right, let's wrap up with the Seahawks with Geno Smith, Quandre Diggs, Tariq Woolen, and Jason Myers in action. The NFC won the Pro Bowl games <laughs> over the AFC. Yes! Taking two of the three flag football games played Sunday with the final one determining the victor. Geno crushed Snoop Huntley. <laughs> 21-15 based on the scores from previous events. The NFC came back to win 35. Monster. 33. Monster comeback. There are no stats recorded to this game for really? these games that I could tell. Like, I couldn't That's come really up with fun. any stats about Gino You know, Smith. it might have maybe come down to the AFC having god-awful quarterbacks. Um, they play a bunch of flag football games. I gotta say, I'm not sure about this. My problem. ultimate conclusion is no one will remember that these moments happened. Like, they'll remember that Geno Smith was a pro bowler. They will not remember the actual existence of what happened. We're remembering that Tyler Huntley was a pro bowler. But we the, might not remember him playing in it, but we will remember that he was we, a pro right, Yeah, I agree. That's, that's what I'm saying, though. Who got named, we will remember what actually happened on the field. That's gone. That's immediately vaporized. Uh, more importantly, Gino told Sirius XM NFL Radio on Friday, quote, it's looking very good as far as his chances of returning to the Seahawks. He also appeared with Channing Crowder, Ryan Clark, and Fred Taylor on the Pivot podcast and said about his next contract, you just want to be respected. Your contract, you just want it to say, we respect you. We understand what you bring to the table. We understand the caliber of player you are, and we appreciate you. And that's what it all, really what it I all I feel like Gino kind of broke it down more than anybody has ever broken it down. I'm sure someone has broken it down like But, that, like, but... that's kind of the reality of it, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, Gino's got bars. We know that. <laughs> he just he wants to back. know that it's just like, hey, Gino, we love you. That's it. So... I want to go into this more in the future, but uh, Mike Sean Dugar of The Athletic, our third Pelton brother, uh, noted that the talk of the Senior Bowl was that $30 million was more like a ceiling for Geno Smith's next contract than a floor, which is interesting in how it contrasts to, you know, kind of our read of the quarterback market. Yeah, Ben. <laughs> we came up with Ben Baldwin <laughs> on that season-ending podcast. I mean, that's one thing I maintained during the season is that I did think that Geno Smith's track record would create a greater degree of skepticism among teams than some of these young up and quarter coming quarterbacks that people talk themselves into. Yeah, like Sam Darnold. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know that Sam Darnold's getting thirty million either. I was saying referring to Jared Goff. 
Oh, Goff's great. That's not a question. I mean, yes. But is he better than Gino? That's Pro Bowler Jared Goff to you. Thank you. It's Pro uh, Bowler Gino Smith. Uh, I, I, I still think it comes down to, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, the opportunities that are available. And there still aren't but, that many teams. Well, we talked about this before Tom Brady retired. So that creates an additional team, it, right? It does. Just creating one additional team. Well, your necessarily... whole point was about Aaron Rodgers getting traded and that reducing one team. So I don't know that I... But Aaron Rodgers has a clear replacement in Green Bay. Yeah, but that so that created one fewer job. But if Tom Brady retires, that creates I guess. more jobs. So those two would offset. And also Aaron Rodgers might not get traded. He's getting traded. But... I, I, I think it's more about how the rest... Now, it's not about I how all 32 NFL teams see Geno. Only one team has to see Geno that way. Or I, don't I guess at least two. I think there's one team who sees Geno as a 30 plus million dollar quarterback. And I think that's it. I think that's where we're at. And I think the Seahawks see him as a close to 30 million dollar quarterback. And that's all it takes. If, if that's Geno's expectation and his read of the market, then they can get this wrapped his up. His agents read of the market. Geno is not Cam as the teams, but okay. His understanding based on conversations with his agent. <laughs> Uh, they can get this wrapped up before the franchise tag deadline. And obviously, if you're talking about $30 million as a ceiling, then it does not make any sense to use the, the franchise tag on him. No, I, I actually think, based upon these conversations, the, the way that the media perceives Gino will still be the same. But when he becomes a 28 to $30 million quarterback, the media is still going to perceive Gino very negatively, or or very harshly. But I I actually have more confidence after this, after the Mike Sean comment, after Gino's comments, of the Seahawks getting this deal done way before the franchise deadline. I don't know about way before, but uh, so let's go somewhat before. I I think there's a chance they get it done in the next couple of months. <laughs> well, yeah, the franchise deadline is within the next. No, couple no, of months. I mean the franchise deadline, like. They franchise oh, him. Oh, I yes. what we were talking about initially, not to franchise him. I see. Of the franchise deadline as mid July, and all of a sudden I'm like that. Bo- that bold prediction. You're already f- walking it back. I'm. I'm, and it's out there. It's I'm, on Jimmer's calendar. I'm happy to keep it, but I do think there's now a chance that the Seahawks. I think there's a chance that the Seahawks and Gino just find a number and everybody agrees and feels good, which would be awesome. It would be. So more to come on it. this topic, but uh, at Peltoncast Live, April twenty first, Pelton oh, Yacht Club. Oh, we'll see if Gino is signed by then. I, I'm, I'm pretty hyped. If the ID, if Gino is signed by then, or we know who the quarterback's going to be, we're pretty confident G- Gino is going to be the quarterback, and the Seahawks can go out and trade that first round pick, go down. Sure, get a 2024 first round pick from Carolina. It is my like. I Carolina's feel, the team. I feel less excited about it now that they hired Frank Reich and maybe and, they want Will Levis. And they're a competently run organization. Like they could have hired another college coach. They hired from Baylor. Who else did they hire? Did they hire Ivero? I thought the Vikings hired him. No, the Vikings hired uh, uh, Brian Flores. Oh, did they? Yes. As DC? Yes. He should be a fucking head coach. Um, but, so the Panthers hired Hiro Avera. I'm not sure about that. I think they did. I think you're right about that. So, yeah, I mean, again, 
they look competently run and they could have been incompetently run, but I still want their first round pick for 2024 because you should always trade down and get teams future first round. You always want anybody's first round pick for 2024. But it like, you know, there's some franchises I trust are probably not going to give you another top 10 pick. Carolina is not in that position. So that's my thinking. But the idea that the Seahawks could go draft a defensive lineman with the first pick and possibly a wide receiver at the second pick and give Gino some help here. I'm like in plus a million more defensive players after that. I don't know. I'm feeling good. I'm kind of feeling good about the Seahawks program. Famous last words. We'll see. On that note. Thanks for listening. Thanks.